Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. And, you know, we all have issues, don't we? Every one of us has things going on in our life and problems and, and troubles in our life. And if you're not having one at the moment right now, hang on, because it's probably right around the corner. You know, one of the things, we talk about our Fired Up series here, and, and, and one of the things that God has really been working on me over the past month or so is, is just all centered around, you know, the fact that when we're going through tough times, we're going through problems and trials in our life, how we handle that many times, or really most of the time, comes down to how we answer the question, what is the meaning of life? And I know it, it seems like a pretty big and weighty question, and, and, and yet that's exactly what Solomon here, that we're going to look at this morning, addresses that. So what is the, the meaning of life? And I'm just going to front load you with the answer right from the start. You can't leave yet. But here's the answer. What's the meaning of life? It's worship. That's what it's all about. You know, it seems like you turn on the TV and, and, and you watch the news and, and all that's going on, and it's just almost uh, almost daily, or at least every other week, you see some big news story of, of some uh, famous, popular sports figure. Um, a while back ago, that was the, you know, the best golfer in the world who had it all, who was the top of the game. Some would say the best ever that it, to ever play the game, who was popular, who was rich, who had a beautiful model wife and two beautiful kids. And somehow, everything just starts to fall apart. And we scratch our heads and say, what is up with that? How does that happen? And even recently you see some of the NFL stars and, and some of the even young upcoming stars who are just at the top and signing multi-million dollar contracts that are now sitting in jail on attempted murder charges. And you think, how, how do you go from there to, to here? Or, or maybe you, even this past week where uh, I saw a, um, a movie star, a TV star, who, who died this week of an overdose on drugs. And you see many times that just at the, at the pinnacle of fame and fortune, you see overdoses, you see suicide at times. It doesn't make any sense. Have you ever questioned and said, oh, how, how can that happen? You know, the Bible makes it real clear, actually, that it does make sense. And it's because all of life is worship. Because unfortunately, these individuals and so many that have come even before them had the curse of getting everything that they wanted. And it wasn't enough. It didn't fill. We are created worshipers. We're created to worship. God, God intended that we are always worshiping someone or something. It's who we are. It's how God has made us. Literally, sometimes I say it this way, in that God created us with a God-sized hole that only He can fill. And that we try going through life and just taking all of these different things and stuffing and stuffing, and maybe this is enough, maybe this is enough, and yet it just never fills that hole, that void in our life. 
And it's because only God can fill that void. All of life is worship. We're going to look this morning at the book of Ecclesiastes. And and I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the ushers are coming down. Just slip up your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible in your hands. And if you go to the middle of the Bible, there's Psalms. And right after Psalms is Proverbs and Solomon. King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And right after Proverbs is the book of Ecclesiastes. And all that was also written by Solomon. If you know anything about your, your, your Jewish history, Solomon was the son of King David. And he was the one who succeeded him as king over Israel. And, and before he took over as king, God came to him and, and, and he said, I will just ask me and I'll give you whatever you want. And Solomon was, was smart enough that after some contemplation, he said, Lord, he said, I, I would like wisdom. I want wisdom so that I know how to rule your people. And God was so pleased with his choice that he said, I will grant your desire for wisdom. I will give you wisdom. But even more than that, I will give you the other things that you didn't ask for. And I'm going to make you the, the wealthiest. And, and I'm going to give you all. And you're going to have peace in your kingdom. And, and you name it, you're going to get it because of your request for wisdom. And so that's really how Solomon starts off and, and really starts off just on fire for the Lord and serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. But yet we know in the story of Solomon that uh, he got distracted. He got a little off track. And the book of Ecclesiastes is, is all centered on that where Solomon says all of these things and he goes through and he recounts all of the different things that he tried. And someone who had everything at his disposal... And so he just starts going from one thing to the next to the next. And, and he records this in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we get to the last chapter, chapter 12, and we start to see a summation where he starts to say, okay, this is what I've learned. This is what it's all about. And so in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Point number one, we see is to worship God alone. Time is short. Worship God alone. Time is short. And he starts off with saying, remember also. And and, and that word also, in some translations say, remember now. And it's a connecting word. And and it it probably uh, would do us well. Look back through the two verses preceding that. Even some translations actually grouped. Uh, those verses in with this section here, but in, in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, it says, Rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in your days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity." Literally, what, what Solomon was saying here is, is to enjoy life. Live it up. But remember, you got to give account for that. And so that's the statement that he makes. And then he goes and says, so also in, in keeping that in mind now, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember, call to mind. Keep it right in the forefront of your mind, your creator, the one who has created you. Literally what he's saying is worship God in what you're doing. 
As you're enjoying life and all that life has to offer, worship God and worship God in the days of your youth. Worship when you have that youthful vigor and energy. Because time's short. Because there's going to come a time quicker than what you think that you will say, I will have no pleasure in them. And then we see in the next number of verses here, in verses 2 through 7, and, and Ecclesiastes is a part of the section of poetry of the Bible in Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and in the Song of Solomon. And, and really we, we see here this very poetic metaphors that Solomon starts to describe how time is short and how, in essence, we are falling apart. And it's kind of dark. And at times it actually hits kind of close to home. See if you can relate to any of these things. In verse 2 it says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return from rain. As things start to fade and darken, and you no longer can see things as well, and things become darker and, and stormy. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, as things start to, to, to fall apart, and, and the metaphor there with the house is, is really even with our physical body, and, and we start to fall apart, and we start worrying about and trembling over falling apart, and, and the strong men are bent low. The men, the, the times of strength and vigor, when, when we stood up straight and we were ready to tame the world, and now you become old and decrepit, and, and, and bent low, and, and strength fades from us. And the grinders cease because they are few. And, and kind of the play on words with the grinding of wheat. And here I think he's talking really about as you start to lose your teeth. And you can't chew anymore the older that you get. And those who look through the windows are dim. And the doors of the street are shut. Your eyesight starts to fade uh, we, we were at a, a, a wedding yesterday, and a beautiful wedding, gorgeous um, program that they had. And all of a sudden, I <laughs> looked over, my wife and I were both trying to read the beautiful, gorgeous program like this, because we couldn't read the print. Things start to get dim, and that's really what he's talking about here. And, and, and The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of the song are brought low. When when the doors are shut and really you can't hear what's going on outside is what he's talking about. Where all of a sudden sounds just start and you start losing your hearing and then there's a little bit of a paradox in there because while you can't hear things that you used to but yet the, the chirping of the birds wake you up, you also sleep very lightly. And you're losing your hearing, but yet sleep just, and it seems like the older I get, the earlier I rise. How, how things just wake me up sooner and sooner as I get older and older. And they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. We see the fear that, that comes many times with, with getting old, the fear that comes with immobility. Where, we used to have an independence and now we come very dependent and have to, to count and trust on other people to care for us. And it can actually be a very fearful thing. We're getting old, he says. Time is short. 
and the almond tree blossoms. When almond trees blossom, they, they get these white buds. What he's saying is, the older you get, and the hair starts to, to gray. Or for some of us, recede. <laughs> the almond tree isn't budding anymore. It's, there's no fruit at all. It's gone. Yeah. And grasshoppers, the grasshopper drags itself and the desire fails. Even, even something as small as the grasshopper, it's hard to even move that is really what he's talking about. And the, talking about it's just too heavy to even lift the grasshopper. It's the signs of getting old. Now right now, turn to your neighbor and say, you're getting old. <laughs> yeah, you're getting old. Okay, that's enough. Doesn't need to be that much discussion over it. It's just a fact. We're all getting old. He says, and, and desires fail. Those youthful desires and our desire here literally could be talking about a desire for food. It could be talking about sexual desires. It could be all of those things and passions that are, that are just so innocent in our youth and, and so on the surface and yet just start to wane and start to fall away slowly and, and, and surely as age comes. And, and it says, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. And literally, I, I think what he's talking about here is not even talking about heaven as much as just talking about death and the grave. And, and so what's he saying in all of this is that, is that time is short. That there's a, it just goes by so quickly. It goes on and starts talking about things and items that are deteriorating around the home. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, and, and the silver cord, I think it's talking about the, the cord in which the, the light is hanging on. And over time, you see, anyone who's a homeowner knows that things don't get better, do they? They, they keep falling apart. And, and, and the, the silver cord is, is breaks and the, and the light falls. And, and it says that the, the pot, the golden bowl is, is broken. And the... Uh, um, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. And so even the things around the house start breaking apart and the pitcher that holds the water and, and over time it gets cracks and it breaks and, and the wheel uh, on the cistern, the wheel is broken on the cistern, the, the crank that they would use to draw water up out of the well that even over time it, 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 it deteriorates and, and it falls apart. And so all of it has said, time is short. The dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. The conclusion? Time short. And so what does Solomon say about it? He says, vanities of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Worthless. Worthless. The preacher, Solomon refers in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, he calls himself the preacher. And that's what he's doing. He's trying to proclaim this message. That all of life is worship. And he's saying here specifically, guys, worship God now. Because time goes by that quick. We know that in, in our home as well. And, and today is, is actually, uh, for my wife and I, today, August 4th, is our 23rd anniversary. Thank you. 
23 years we've been married, and you're clapping. I know you're clapping for her. I know you are, because you're thinking he's put up with him for 23 years. Say, she deserves a present. She got one. 23 years. The thing about it is, is 23 years. It's gone like that. And, and we actually, we were high school sweethearts. We grew up together. Uh, we we dated through high school most of the time, but uh, we've been together a long time, and yet. It seems to go so fast. I, I threw a couple pictures up on the screen. See, I had hair <laughs> at one time. And my wife, she had really poofy hair. <laughs> That's right. Our kids still laugh about that. And the shoulder pads. you got to like that. The, the picture on the left is a picture that, of us in high school. is before our senior year after a football game there. And she was the cheerleader I played. And, and that was a picture actually out of the yearbook. And, and the one beside it then is from August... 4th, 1990, when we were married at 2.30 in the afternoon. The thing about it is, when I think of myself, my, my thinking, I think like them. In my mind, we're still them. Right? And some of you are laughing at me and you're looking at me and you're shaking your head and saying, but you're not them anymore. And, and I know that. And we're not. But yet in our minds, isn't it funny how, how so quickly time goes by from that to now in my mid-40s here. And it just seems like yesterday. And that's what Solomon's talking about. He's saying, look, worship God alone. It's all about our worship of Him and worship Him now because time is Short. Last week, uh, Psalm 103, uh, we were looking at that. Pastor Tim really kind of wrapped up in that last point, and and really it was experience God's love and thank Him passionately. Do you remember that from last week? The challenge as we walked out was to experience His love and and, and thank Him passionately. And so, my question for you: How was your worship last week? How was it? Did you have some awesome worship? Did you get distracted? Did you get distracted? Oh, we'll get to it later. Well, Solomon doesn't stop there, but he goes on. Point number two, we see worship God in your thinking, your attitudes, and your actions. Worship God in your thinking, your attitude, and your actions. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. He says, besides being wise, besides having the ability to, to apply the knowledge that he had, that's what wisdom is, he said the preacher also, Solomon also went about trying to, trying to convey knowledge to people. You see that in the, even in the book of Proverbs, and, and even Proverbs says that there were many, many more wise sayings that he said that weren't even recorded in that book. But yet, so many of those are just wonderful axioms, uh, wonderful observations of saying, this is the way life works, and this is what you need to know about life. And so he taught knowledge in the weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. And the preacher sought to find words of delight. 
And uprightly he wrote words of truth. And, and so Solomon is saying what he was trying to do was trying to encourage us. He was trying to build us up. And he was doing it with words of delight, of encouragement, of things that would be helpful. And beyond that also then, the words that were truthful. Making sure that it was the truth of God's word. That it was the absolute truth that doesn't change. And he says these words of the wise are like goads and nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. These words are like goads and, and you know to uh, a goad was a, was a, was a pointed stick that they would use to, to goad sheep and, and, and livestock and they, they would kind of poke them along. It was to use an instrument that was used to guide, to direct and at times to motivate the livestock to move in the direction that the shepherd wanted them to go. And so literally what, what he's saying is these words here that we see in Scripture and, and specifically here, the, the wisdom here that, that Solomon records is, is to do that to us. It's to move us along and to, to motivate us and to point us in the direction that we should go. He says they're like nails fixed on the... It's like taking it and putting it up before us and nailing it up on the wall. And so that it's right there in front of us so that we know and understand what it is to, to live life. What it is to, to worship God. What it looks like. Literally, what, what is the meaning of life and what's life all about? And to put that right in the forefront. And this isn't coming from Solomon, but, but no, he says, uh, and these are given by one shepherd. If you look in your Bible, you'll see the shepherd there, it's capitalized. Why? Because it's not talking about Solomon as, as shepherding the people, but it's talking about God. It's, it's talking about Christ, the, the, the shepherd. And saying, look, God's got everything that we need to know for life and godliness. He's got the answers to life of, of what it means to worship him and what that looks like. And saying, put it right out in front of us. Let that guide and direct you. My son, beware of anything else beyond this. My son, beware of anything else beyond this. You know... If you talk to 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different opinions as to what life is all about, won't you? Sometimes I I say it this way, uh, opinions are like noses. Everyone has one, and some are bigger than others. It works for other things too, but... Right? Everyone's got opinions. Everywhere you go, you turn on the TV, you turn on uh, anything with the media, you, you talk to people, you talk to people at work, and, and everybody, they're living for something, and they're free to share and tell you about what they're living for. And I said here, we're, we're in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, and, and really what we're getting is, is Solomon is wrapping up that book, and he's saying, look, I tried all of these different things. And that's what's recorded in the first 11 chapters is, is all of the different stuff that he tried to fill that God-sized hole that only worship can fill. And, and, and for just a moment, I just want to flip back to chapter 2 is a, is a great summary of, of some of these things that we see. And I'm just going to read real quick through some verses here in chapter 2. It says, I sit in my heart, come now, and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven, 
during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in all uh, in them all kinds of fruit trees. And I made myself pools from which to water the forest and the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. And so I became great and surpassed all who went before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. What's he saying? He's saying, I tried this and this and this. I I, I tried laughter. I tried pleasure. I I tried to accumulate wealth. I tried to, to, to fill with stuff. And I had more stuff than anybody. And I tried to build a great empire. And we know the, all of the building projects that Solomon, like nothing that had ever been seen before, is what Solomon did. And, and, and he tried uh, managing people. And he tried managing and acquiring money. And he tried uh, acquiring women. And when it was all said, what did he say? He said, I enjoyed it for a little while. For a little while. Verse 11. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What did Solomon say? Solomon said the same thing that we see in so many in the media today. He found the curse of getting everything that he thought he wanted. And it's not enough. It's not enough. Repeat that with me. It's not enough. Again, louder like you mean it. It's not enough. I agree. But it's hard, isn't it? Because you said those words and yet in the back of your mind, I'm not so sure all the time. The conclusion... The conclusion is worship God. The Westminster Catechism says that the the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's really the point where Solomon is coming to in verses 13 and 14. when, When Solomon answers the question, what will bring joy? What will bring true fulfillment and contentment? What is the meaning of life? What's life all about? Verse 13. And the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And God will bring every deed into judgment. Every secret thing, whether good or evil. Literally, this is the conclusion. This is summation of of Solomon after everything's been recorded here. He says, what's it all about? It's about this. It's really simple. Fear God. Having right thinking and attitude towards God. Understanding God and who God is and understanding God's power. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He is sovereign over all. 
the magnitude of who God is and understanding God's love and the fact that he has never-ending love for us. And it's the balance between God's power and his love that, that should really leave us awestruck. That's the fear of God. Should there be a little bit of dread and terror in it? Yeah, at times there should be because of how great and holy God is and how we fail to meet and how we pale in comparison to God. But also that loving God that we looked at last week in Psalm 103 and the promise of this God, of his, his love never ends, his unfailing love for us. That's the fear of the Lord that it talks about. It's, right, it's our thinking and our attitude towards God and keeping his commandments. Living it out in the actions, in our actions in life. Everything that we do, Solomon says, is going to, to be brought out into the light. Now, we read that, and many times we think of that in a very negative sense, and, and at times it, it, it should. But it's really actually a very neutral statement. Everything, light will be shown on everything that we do, good or evil, even every secret thing. So whatever's going on, whatever's going on in my actions, and but even that, what's going on in my attitudes, what's going on behind the veil, what you guys can't see, God says everything will come out. For the, for the unbeliever, we will all stand, or they will stand before the, the great white throne judgment and be judged for sin, and for the believer, we will... Stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And everything that we did that wasn't for Christ is just all going to be burned up, worthless. The judgment. So what's Solomon saying? He's saying, worship God. Worship God in your thinking. Worship God in your attitudes. Worship God in your actions. And as I was working through this, this past couple of weeks, and, and I was just trying to to get my arms around it and say, okay, so, so what is this all about? So literally, what does this look like? And, and the first thing I said, we've been throwing out that word worship and, and, and somewhat we're seeing it exemplified and, and the example there of, of worship in these two verses. But, but I, I started looking for a definition. What is worship? And, and so I started looking through uh, passages of, of Scripture, and I also I went to Webster's Dictionary and kind of put together the four or five definitions that they had for what is worship and, and kind of put it all together and said, here's a definition of worship. Admiring love and devotion. What is worship? What does it mean to worship? When we throw out that term, worship God alone, and to worship God, it's admiring love and devotion. And that's what I'm going after. That's what it means, or that, that's what worship is. So what does it look like? So just getting very practical here. How do I go about worshiping God? Here you go. There's the, the three C's of worship. There's a lot that goes into this, but kind of put them into three different groupings here. Number one, how do I worship God? Number one, communion. It's relationship. It's spending time with God. It's communing with God. It's having relationship with God. It's the time that's spent. It's my focus upon God. It's focusing on who He is and what He's done. 
It's the time of, of praise and adoration that I have towards God. It's the communication that I have. It's, it's developing that relationship with God. And, and, and spending the time and, and communing with God. Praise and thanksgiving. Secondly, it's, it's confession. It's understanding that in the middle of that, I also have my junk. I also have sin. And it's something I struggle with daily, and, and my sin is what hinders that relationship with God. It's my sin that, that gets me distracted from my worship of God. And so it's confession. For, uh, First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you may have remembered a, a year or so ago as, as Pastor Tim walked through and just that process of spiritual breathing. Of just being, taking that time and, and, and worshiping God and who He is and focusing on the greatness of God. And then also confessing and dealing with our own stuff. Confessing that to God, giving that over to God, and then back to our relationship with God. So communion and confession, and then thirdly, compliance. Compliance. I'll be honest with you, I was trying to find a a, a good C word here, just to kind of helps to remember these things, but... uh, uh, I saw compliance and I almost didn't go with it because I, first of all, it's kind of a passive word. I'm just kind of complying. But the more I actually thought about it, the more it's actually very accurate. What is my obedience? My obedience is all about complying with God. It's me saying, I trust that your way works. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to go along with what you have for my life. I'm going to obey you and what you say and trust that it is the best for me. And I'm going to live that out in the decisions that I make and the choices that I make. So what's worship look like? Communion, confession, and compliance. Now you're probably like me though, and, and not only that, I get that down pretty good. But then I, there seem to be things that continue to trip me up. And so what is it, what is it that trips us up? And, and we've already started from the point of understanding that we are always worshiping something. And so if I'm not worshiping God, I'm worshiping something else. And when I'm worshiping something other than God, the Bible calls those idols. And I say the word idol, and many times we think of an idol, you, you think of the little statues and stuff, and there was times and people that would actually be worshiping those types of things, and even today we see that in some places, but for me, it's, it's, my idols aren't so much as little statues as, as what we would call more idols of the heart. Of things that I allow in my life to take the place of God. I am always worshiping something or someone. Unfortunately, a whole lot of the time, it's not God. There are other idols in my life. And so how is it that we determine, what, how do we know what it is that, that, that's crept into? And many of these things aren't wrong in and of themselves. They're just things that we've allowed to become idols. And, and so I've got three questions for you. Three questions that really get to the heart of, of what it is that I'm worshiping and, and maybe what are those idols in my life. Number one is, am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin to get it? Maybe you'd say it this way. I know it's wrong, 
but. You ever said that? Or have you ever thought that in your life? I know it's wrong, but I'm going to go and do it anyway. But I think this would still be better if I did it my way. If I did it the way that's going to bring the immediate happiness or response that I'm looking for. Am I willing to sin? Am I willing to go against what God says in this area to get what I think is right or what I think is best for me? Am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? One of the good ways to to understand this is, you know, we become very protective of our idols, don't we? And so, sometimes the when you have fear and anger, a lot of times it's tied to this right here. I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I want. I'm afraid you're going to, I'm going to lose what I have and it means so much to me that I'm fearful of it and many times then I get angry at anyone who, who I think may be challenging that. Uh, sometimes I say it this way in that, uh, how do I know if, if the Xbox is a, is a problem for my teenage son? Anybody know? How do you know if the Xbox is a problem? It's real easy actually. You take it away. If I take that away because I think it's becoming a problem and he uh, turns to me and says, well, okay, dad, I guess I'll just go upstairs and read a book. <laughs> probably not a problem, right? Probably not a big deal. He's never said that, but, but still probably not, especially him. He, he doesn't, uh, we're working on that. But instead, he responds just the other way, and we take that away, and all of a sudden, we have a meltdown. And we start to throw a fit. And he gets angry, and he flops down and throws whatever fit or tantrums or manipulative tactics he takes at the moment. And all of a sudden, you realize, whoa, that's a very big deal to him. How about you? You thrown any fits lately? Oh, you make it look pretty good. Yeah, you, you camouflage it well. But yet you had that where all of a sudden you're so angry and upset and throwing a fit because I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I think I deserve. It's probably tied to an idol in your life. Number three, third question. Do I turn to this as a refuge or comfort instead of God? Do I turn to this as a refuge or comfort instead of God? What is it that I'm going to Sometimes we call this, and we all have our <laughs> our comfort foods, right? At the end of the long day, when you're all tired out, and you go to that one thing that you know will make you feel good in the moment. There's nothing wrong in and of itself of these things. But at times, these things can become idols in our life. What is it that you're going to for comfort as a refuge when it should be God? There's a, a, a number, I've got actually a, a, a 10 more kind of heart probing questions. And, and I, for time's sake, I'm not going to go through it now. But if you go to the website uh, this afternoon where the message is at, there'll be a PDF there. And you can actually pull that down. Kind of got all of this and, and some other things that kind of help us determine what are the idols in our, in our life. Because so many times it's subtle though, isn't it? We get so distracted 
and, and, and so caught up, and I think a lot of it, it revolves around our thinking, and, in, and, and, and truly in, in disbelieving what God says, even when we'll affirm that it to be true. And this week, uh, we were driving, uh, we were driving through Peoria, and we ended up at a stoplight in front of uh, the Northwoods Mall. We live in Peoria, and we go by there a lot. And as we looked at the, uh, at the stoplight, and the family was uh, several of us in the car, and we looked up, there's a billboard there, and it's there almost all the time. And it had the current amount for the uh, Powerball. $236 million was the, the current amount of the Powerball here uh, earlier this week. And someone, one of the kids behind me, threw out something about... Man, can you imagine winning $236 million? And they started, hey, what would you do with $236 million? And that conversation is going on. And in my mind, I'm thinking this. $236 million. Man, that would be great. We wouldn't have any problems then. That's what I was thinking. And no sooner did I think it, I know that's not true. Right? I work with people and they, I, I know it's not true. And so I, I know that that, that that is a lie. And yet I, I kind of almost have this argument in my mind as I'm thinking through, ah, but I don't know. It sure seems like it. Ah, no, I know that's not true. It's, it's kind of ironic because just a couple of days later, uh, we were having dinner with, with my folks and, and we're talking about something totally different, but my mom brought up a, a friend of ours whose uncle had won the lottery a couple of years back and had won several million dollars. It wasn't that much, but it was, it was a lot of money. Ready for this? And within the year, he died unexpectedly. And, and almost all of that money, he didn't even hardly have time to spend it, and almost all that money ended up getting passed down and spread out to his family. And that was the context of that discussion. But, but it was a reminder. You know what? All of that money didn't lengthen his life. That's what Solomon's talking about. When everything is summed up, what's it, what's it all come down to? It comes down to worship. Worship God in your thinking. Worship God in your attitudes. Worship God in your in your actions. So here's my question for you. How's your worship going? How's your worship going? Think back over the last week. I asked you that just a few minutes ago. What idols did you allow to creep into your life this past week? What was it that that seems to just keep tripping you up in your worship? Right now, picture it in your mind. Think about it. Where did I get distracted? What, what, what idol of the heart tripped me up this week? Here's what I want you to do. We left the, the back of your notes there. We left it blank. Because I want you just to jot down. What's my plan this week to remove that idol? All through the Old Testament, every time there was idols in the land of Israel, what were they told to do? They were told to tear them down, to remove them from the land. That's our challenge today. Remove that out. What's my plan to remove that idol or those idols in my life? Just jot that down. You can write it in code if you want so that your wife doesn't see it next to you or whatever. 
But write it down. What am I going to do this week to remove that idol? Now, for some of you that are here, some of, this may not even mean that much to you. It may not make a whole lot of sense because you've never come to the place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where you've established that relationship. You're not worshiping your creator up to this point. And for you, I, I got to tell you, I've got good news. Today's the day. Today's the day to fill that God-sized hole. We would love, Pastor Tim and, and Mike and several of the pastors and elders, we'll be down here. We love to talk and to just walk through Scripture and say how you can know for sure that you'll spend eternity with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Get that straight today. But now let me ask you one last question. What needs to change in your life this week to increase your worship of God? We're going to remove the idols, but what do I need to increase now to enhance my worship of God this week? Jot down your plan for how you're going to go about doing that. Jot down a couple of steps, very practical steps of this is what I can do to work on my communion, to work on my confession, to work on my compliance to, so I can, I can be wholeheartedly, totally sold out in my worship for God today and this week. Folks, we are always worshiping. We're created worshipers. This week, let's worship our creator. While we still have some youth and vigor remaining. Let's pray.